Hi there, and welcome to the Birth Story Therapist Podcast, the safe space for mamas and parents to share their birth stories, discuss common issues experienced with parenting, feel heard and validated, engage in discussion about the complexity of their motherhood journeys, and how they manage their mental health along the way. Come here every week to hear from mamas who are just like you, figuring it out one day at a time. Hear from myself, Crystal, licensed therapist, host of this podcast, and private practice owner of Southeast Perinatal Counseling. I specialize in maternal mental health, if you haven't guessed already. I'll share helpful tips and techniques to manage your mental health as you navigate motherhood, both in the perinatal and postpartum period, as well as bring on other mamas so you can gain from their history, their stories, maybe some gems that you can apply to your motherhood journey. And of course, I also have on professionals within the maternal mental health space that might be able to offer additional techniques and resources to help you along the way. Today on our show on Loved Ones Lost, we have a professional grief counselor. Her name is Crystal. And Crystal, um, can you tell me a little bit about what you do? Thank you so much for inviting me on, Kathy. So I am a wife. Um, I'm a mom of a little who will be two this June. I am a therapist. My background is social work. So I have a master's degree. I am clinically licensed both in the state of Georgia and South Carolina. Um, I have a private practice with a home base in Georgia, but because it is virtual, I'm able to see clients in South Carolina as well. I um, specialize in maternal mental health. So I see moms and couples who may be experiencing pregnancy or postpartum related disorders, um, often called PMADs or perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. And so for some that may be postpartum depression, um, but there are so many others. There's OCD, there's PTSD, there's psychosis, there's anxiety. And so I see mamas and couples in that regard. But then I also see them for just navigating parenthood, right? Or navigating motherhood. Um, and grief and loss, which is why I'm here today. So I'm really excited to, to speak with you and um, to be able to bring some insight to your listeners. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. And, excuse me. So some of the questions that I have, number one is, um, what are the stages of grief? I know that that's one of the biggest things, you know, whenever someone loses a child. You know, what stages are they going to go through? What can they expect? Really great question, Kathy. So there are five stages of grief, um, one being denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. And so one of the things that I always let clients know who um, experience a loss is you may commonly refer back to these five stages, and this may be the model in which so many operate from. Um, but the criticism with this model is that um, it leaves no opportunities when other things may arise. And so what I mean by that is the fact that grief is not linear, right? Like grief doesn't look like uh, you going through all of these stages and 
um, in succession or even um, to a certain time frame. It, 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 it isn't always in this order. It also isn't always, again, um, a timetable to which you can point to. Um, and so I always like for clients and listeners to know that as well. Um, and so what's helpful about keeping that in mind is it's validating and affirming when you have someone who may be experiencing um, grief in a different way. And so if we just utilize this model of denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance um, for someone who may be experiencing a flurry of these different stages of grief, and it looked completely different from someone else, they may experience shame and guilt surrounding how they're grieving. And so I just, I want to preface that. And I also just want to encourage those out there to know that grief is very personal and it looks different from person to person. And it takes a lot more into consideration, like your specific personality and who you are and your values and your cultural um background and many of those things, but also your relation to that person. And so if we're looking at moms and um, couples who experience loss, um, one of the things to keep in mind is not only do they grieve the loss of a pregnancy, or if we're talking about a stillbirth um, or an infant due to SIDS or medical condition, that they lose that person, right? They lose their sweet baby, but they also lose out on all of the experiences that also come with the loss. And so the experiences being being able to wash their baby or it's something that we, you know, may take for granted or that, you know, is something that we do so often. And so we don't think about those special moments that these parents don't get to experience or seeing them. Um, be able to graduate from kindergarten one day or from high school and things like that. Yeah. And so it's so important that we remember that it's not just a um, an, in a baby that um, is lost, but it's also those experiences, those hopes, those dreams as well. Um, so I just, I, I love to be able to preface that um, and for us to operate within that lens, that there's so many other things that are grieved along with, um, the loss of their sweet baby. So one of my listeners asked, um, what is the best way to assist your grieving older children, especially if they are, uh, if they are acting like they're okay, super fine. So how would you tell a parent how to, Yeah, oh my goodness, that's such a great question. Um, So there are so many ways that a parent can uh, meet their child where they're at um, within their own grief. And so one is being able to do that and understanding that grief again is, um, and the ways in which we grieve are very individual and personal. And so one, understanding that, two, understanding that, uh, we need to take into consideration the developmental age, um, how that person is as an individual into consideration. And so, Um, one of the things that I found so helpful is being able to, um, communicate about the loved one. So their sweet baby, um, or sweet sibling, um, in a way that makes sense to that person given their developmental age. And so for a five-year-old, it may look like getting on their level and saying, 
you know, sweet baby John is no longer with us. We can pray to John. We can, um, if you're religious, um, we can talk to John. We can, in answering the questions along the lines for a five-year-old, for their developmental age, but also not creating uncertainty or leaving a lot to an imagination. So I hope that makes sense with regard to, to children. Um, and so what I mean by that, again, is just being able to answer their questions very factually um, so that they're aware that a loss has occurred. And for an older child, it may look like sitting down and again, answering those questions very factually, attending to their needs and touching base with them. There are oftentimes child life specialists who are in hospital settings. And so I know with COVID going on right now, there are a lot of different regulations in hospitals about who can attend and who can come in and things of that nature. Um, but child life specialists are a really great resource um, and they're located within hospital settings. Sometimes it may be a case manager who serves in this capacity in a hospital as well. And so what these professionals do are they come in and they're able to provide the support and um, education surrounding loss. And so I would encourage your listener or whomever has an older child, maybe to get in touch with a professional who handles this if they're inside a hospital setting, um, specifically a children's hospital or, or um, anything of that sort. Um, and then also to look at your community resources. There are so many, um, and I'm going to give two resources um, in a little bit that may be of help. But the key here, again, is not shying away from the discussion about loss and understanding that your child is very smart, <laughs> regardless if they're five or if they are 18 years old. They know that there has been a disruption in their family unit due to a significant event. And it's so important to validate their experience as well and to not shy away from the discussion. I hope that helps. It does. Thank you. So how can a friend who is um, like someone trying to be there for their friend, how can they best be there for their friend experiencing grief? I mean, you know, it does, Kathy. And I, I have so many, um, so many helpful things. And these have been um, helpful insights that I have picked up in my personal practice and me being um, able to communicate with other licensed clinicians in the field and seeing that we're all seeing the same thing. And so um, I have a list here for you, um, one of which and probably the most important here um, or one of the most important is being mindful that words mean things. And so what I mean by that is understanding that um, language is incredibly powerful and it can either hurt and harm or be healthy and helpful to someone on a grieving journey or on a healing journey. And so when you ask someone, for instance, how are you? So a grieving mom or dad, how are you doing? actually mean it. And, you know, it, 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 people are like, Crystal, well, what do you mean by that? Like, of course I mean, how are you doing? But I think because we're, we, we say that phrase so often, like, hey, how you doing? Like, we don't expect to be able to be present with whatever comes next. And so what I mean by that is, if whatever comes next may be, I'm fine, 
then okay. But if whatever comes next is I'm struggling, I'm in so much pain, there are times when I don't want to get out of bed, I feel like I want to give up. For you to be present in that person's pain and for you not to try and push it away. And so I think that it can be so helpful for support persons to know that comfort with words is extremely powerful. However, some words with the best intent in good faith can land so poorly. And so what I mean by that is sometimes statements like, oh, baby is in a better place. It To someone who may not understand um, how that person actually feels on the inside, it could be beautiful, right? It could be, you know, these are things that we say to those to comfort them. But telling someone that can be so invalidating, it can be minimizing to their experience. Another one that I often hear is, oh, well, um, Jesus is looking over a baby. And even if that person is religious, I've often heard moms and dads say, I understand that Jesus is watching over my baby, but I want to watch over my baby. I want to be there and take care of my baby. Right. And so, yeah. And so we don't under we we oftentimes and it is comforting to them, but it's also a gut punch. Right. It also brings about like shame and guilt that comes out of nowhere that sort of makes them feel like maybe they weren't good enough or that they weren't worthy enough to take care of their baby and that Jesus could do a better job or, oh, you know, grandma's up there watching baby or Nana's up there watching baby. And it, you know, like I want to do those things. Like I want to be there day in and day out. Yes, I'm so glad that they're in heaven. And, but I want to be there. I want to do those things. And so I want us to be mindful of that and to remember that it, yes, it is in good faith. You have the best intentions. And um, you mean well, but oftentimes those things can sometimes hurt and they can come with other meanings as well. And so um, there's a, another one that I often hear. What is it? Oh, that, um, oh, you'll have another one or at least you have two more at home. It's like my baby isn't a, a pack of bread or a loaf of bread. Like I can't just replace my baby with another one, right? And so we have to remember that, yeah, we have to remember that it is it is comforting to know that your family still, you know, has little ones at home or if their older children has older children at home, it may still be comforting to know that, um, you still have fertility options to you to, if you want to, um, further grow your family, but your child cannot be replaced. It can't be replaced by the littles at home and it cannot be replaced by the next one that you have, right? And so it's so important that we're mindful. So I do have some very helpful um, statements that you can say to families um, and that families have told me that is helpful. Um, One of which is, And it's so basic, Kathy, but being able to say, I don't know what to say, but I'm here for you. I love you. That can be so um, incredibly touching to someone because they also often don't have the words to be able to um, make sense of or um, even the thoughts that they're having. Um, And to hear someone else say, "I, I don't. I don't even know what to say. That it can meet them where they're at. 
another thing that may be helpful is to um, to be able to say to them, I know that you are in pain, right? So oftentimes we try and again, make these beautiful poetic statements so that they feel immediately comforted. But what it does is it minimizes or it tries to push away or put a band-aid on um, this huge and significant life-altering event when there's no way that you can put a band-aid on this. Like there is pain present and in order for healing to begin, Yes, say these sweet things, but also recognize that pain is present, right? And so we know that with grief, in order for you to heal and recover from it and to get on this um, restoration journey with regards to um, your lost experience, that it's so important for pain to be acknowledged, for the loss to be acknowledged within itself. And so that's one thing, just being mindful of language. Another thing that I would say that might be helpful for support persons is for them to show up in other capacities within that person's life. And so there are so many moving factors that happen when someone loses their sweet baby. Things like... um. <laughs> Simple things like taking a bath and eating are things that we don't necessarily think that someone may be struggling to do, right? But we know like when I get stressed out, sometimes all I want to do is just think about what is going on in my life that's stressing me out. And sometimes I'm like, okay, Crystal, you need to eat. Like, don't forget to eat, right? And so the same exact thing happens with a parent who experiences a loss. And so some things that might be helpful may be a family or friends banding together and picking days throughout the week and saying, okay, I have Monday, you have Tuesday, I'm going to drop off meals this day, you drop off meals that day. And I'm not talking about going to the grocery store and getting stuff that they have to prepare. No, we're talking grab and go, pop in the microwave, already cooked type of meals to where they don't have to do anything, right? Because they're already dealing with so much. Another thing that's helpful is if, you know, I know coronavirus and COVID and, you know, things like that are going on. But if they are allowing visitors to their home, it can be helpful to go over and say to them, if they have other littles, I'm here, go and get some rest. I will watch your children for you. Or get up and say, I see that this is happening over here. Let me take care of your dishes for you. I see that close a basket right there. Let me fold your clothes for you. Can I do some laundry for you? Right? Like being there and understanding that when a death happens to um, to anyone, um, and I know we're talking about children right now or infants, but when a death happens to someone life still goes on, right? Like life doesn't know to like also stop and, and like allow me to have this moment however long I need to have it. Bills still have to get paid. Kids still have to eat. Your husband or spouse needs tending to. Work still has to ha- All of these moving parts still have to happen. And so having a support person to understand that life does not stop can be so helpful. Another way um, that may be helpful to show up for a person who's experienced a loss of a a pregnancy or a loss of an infant or child may be, um, this is a big one, is understanding that the child still existed. And so, so oftentimes pregnancy and and even um, infant loss 
can sometimes be a silent type of loss or a loss that's more quickly forgotten than, say, an adult or an elderly person. And what I mean by that is because that person has not been earthside or they weren't living earthside for the amount of time that an adult or an elderly person might have been, that, you know, the support may dwindle more quickly or we forget that that person existed. And it's so important for support persons to remember to say that baby's name, right? There's so often times where I'm engaging with a client and in the beginning, I might use baby. And then once they share their story and they say baby's name, I say baby's name from then on out. I say Daniel. I say Katie. And I, I every time I hear a parent say, Crystal, thank you so much for saying my baby's name. I don't get to hear it. I don't get to hear it. And we think with adults and with elderly um, persons, it may be that John or Ashley, they, they're older, so there's so many things that they have experienced, their memories, there are tokens of them or remnants of them all around the house. And so you might hear someone say often like, oh, Katie's sweater is right there. Are y'all going to clean up her room and things of that nature? But with a baby or with the loss of a pregnancy, you don't hear those things because they aren't as present and they haven't had those moments on Earthside to be able to pick up that, yes, my baby's name still needs to be said. When we think about people who do family planning or who lose a baby, let's say at 20 or 30 weeks, or if it's a stillbirth um, at delivery, um, they have thought of this sweet child growing within their womb from the moment that they thought that they wanted to have a baby and from the moment that they conceived. And they knew that child and they wanted so many things for them, including their name, right? So much so much yeah. goes into forming someone's name and so much meaning behind it. And so it's so important that we keep that alive and remember that we don't have to shy away. It may be uncomfortable for the support person, but understand that your uncomfort is in no way measurable to that person's pain, right? And to what they won't be able to experience. And so again, say baby's name if 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 you know baby's name, because um, it can be so comforting. Another thing um, may be um, memorializing and rituals. And so I always say to clients themselves, you know, find ways to memorialize your sweet baby. And so that could be printing out pictures of yourself from your pregnancy. It could be planting a garden. It could be doing a scholarship. But the same thing goes for those who are showing up as support people. They can also do those things, including sending a thoughtful card on a holiday right? Sometimes we forget that holidays are rough. Holidays, like this past season, I had so many mamas on my caseload who like literally were like, why am I doing this? And I'm going to bring up a point in a minute with regard to that. But why, like, why do I have to, why do I have to go through this holiday alone without my sweet baby? And what I mean by alone is yes, they have their spouse. Yes, they have other children. Yes, they have extended family, but you still feel alone in your grief, right? Without that sweet baby. And so understanding that checking in for holidays, acknowledging, uh, the, the day that the child has, has lost their life, um, those significant dates are incredibly important because while life may go on for us, they're left on that 
December the 13th day and having to face it oftentimes alone. And so remembering that as well. Um, yeah, so th those are some different ways that support persons can show up. And again, if you're present during a loss experience or even there the weekend of a loss, let's say it happens at delivery or let's say you're visiting and mom experiences a miscarriage or something of that sort, there are other moving parts that happen. <laughs> Things like if it is an infant at um, at 40 weeks or 42 weeks and they're delivered still, that um, cremation, burial, all of those, all of that paperwork stuff has to get handled. And so if you're a trusted person, like a mom or a grandparent or, you know, a close friend, and they'll allow you to take over that paperwork for them, take it over, offer to do it. Like they're they offer to put away items until they're ready to see them. Like, do you need me before you get home and discharge to put away the diaper bag, to, to shut the door to the nursery? Do you need me to do those things? And if they say no, then that's fine. But if they say yes, be there and show up for them in that capacity. That is awesome. <clears throat> Very good advice. Yeah. I know that I've been there myself because my nephew passed away over 20 years ago at the age of four. And... I know that my mom and myself, you know, we really tried to help guide my brother through all that right. as well. So, yeah. um, another question that someone had was, how do you, as a mom, how do you explain to someone that's not experiencing the loss that you just need to be quiet sometimes and that sometimes there's nothing for them to do but just to let them have their space? Whew, that is a great question. Oh, my goodness. Um, you have such amazing listeners, Kathy. <laughs> um, they, uh, man, that is a really good question. I'll tell you, um, boundaries. <laughs> and if you're not familiar with boundaries in in just your everyday life, get familiar with them. Because when significant events like this happen, such as a loss, you really need to be able to um, put boundaries in place. And so what a boundary may look like um, one, let me preface this by saying oftentimes people hear boundaries and they think of it being a wall or they think a boundary, a boundary being uh, rude or disrespectful or that you're trying to close people off. That is not what a boundary is. A boundary is healthy. It is a protective factor for your emotional needs, for your time. I mean, there are so many different ways that boundaries come into place and that can, um, for your physical space, so many different ways that boundaries can show up for you and protect you while you're experiencing this type of significant event. And so being able to identify within yourself the things that you will tolerate or the things that you will accept during this loss experience is incredibly important. And so whether that means sitting down and thinking to yourself, well, that statement, I'll just use what I what I said earlier, that statement that so-and-so used that was meant to be, you know, in good faith or meant to be comforting to me actually hurt. And so if you hear a statement like that again, like, oh, try not to worry or throw yourself into work, if you feel like that's invalidating to you or it minimizes your experience or what you're going through, understand that you have every right to express yourself to that person and to say, you know, the words that you're saying to me right now, they aren't comforting. They aren't meeting me where I'm at. 
and I'd like for you to stop, right? Being very direct, being very clear, and being assertive is incredibly important. And again, it isn't rude. It is healthy. Relationships thrive, and they work off of boundaries. So being able to understand um, if someone is calling nonstop or if someone is trying to be there for you and trying to offer advice to say very clearly, I appreciate everything that you're you're doing for me, but I'm actually not looking for advice. I just would like for you to just sit here with me. I just need for you to be present. That within itself allows the other person to, one, understand where you're at and understand that what I'm doing for this person who is experiencing probably, I'd say probably the most difficult pain that they may experience in their life, I'm not serving this person in the best way possible. And so maybe I need to go inward and figure out what I'm doing and how it's unhelpful and actually adhere to what this grieving parent is saying. And so I would encourage your listener to just be direct and be assertive, create your boundaries, whether that means someone um, giving unsolicited advice or doing too much. And so I offered, you know, quite a bit of suggestions of how you can show up for support persons. But we also need to remember that everyone doesn't want um, to for their support person to show up in that capacity. And so knowing what exactly you will accept during this time period and being able to express that is incredibly important. Right. Mm-hmm. So um, what are some healthy ways that people can cope with the death of a stillborn child or any child? Yeah. Um, so therapy. <laughs> um, so I am a therapist, so I know that there are so many interventions, so many techniques Um, And I actually have one resource for you, which is Postpartum Support International. Um, And I'll email you uh, this web address as well, Kathy. But it is essentially, yeah, it's a hub of educational information uh, related to perinatal mood and anxiety disorders, uh, which also um, grief is in there. Trauma is in there because we know that trauma can also occur with regard to the loss of a sweet baby. And so there's also a directory. And so that within itself and the support groups is extremely important. And so being able to go on this directory and find a provider within your community that may specialize in this area can be so helpful. Um, But then also support groups, because we know that collective voices, normalizing experiences is also incredibly helpful. And so being around other mamas and dads even um, who've experienced loss is is powerful and it could help you so much along the way. Um, Doing grief work. And so one of the things that um, I do within my private practice, but I know some clients do before they come into therapy, is um, journaling. Journaling can be incredibly powerful. Understanding, um, and this was one of the things that I wanted to come back to, but understanding that one, your grief is individual, like we talked about earlier, but also understanding that grief in its simplest form is a reaction to a loss. And there are many different ways that we respond to grief. 
It can be physical, like appetite or sleep disturbances. It could be emotional, like anger or despair, which I'm going to come back to emotional. Um, Social, like isolation or throwing yourself into work um, or even not going to work. It could be mental, which I'm also going to come back to that one, like ruminating or overthinking um, or having distorted thoughts. Um, it can also be spiritual ways that we respond to stress or respond to grief, like being upset at God or questioning um, your higher power or whomever, um, you know, provides alignment within yourself in the world. Um, and so when I mentioned that I wanted to come back to emotional, it's incredibly important. And this is something that you can do on an individual basis even if you are not connected with the provider, but again, I say get connected with the therapist, is understanding that duality exists within this healing journey. And so, Crystal, what do you mean by duality? I mean that two things can be true. So you can experience different emotions and it makes sense. And so to someone who is unfamiliar, they may be thinking, what in the world do you mean? And so what I mean by that is understanding that a lot of parents who experience loss, they feel that despair and they feel that anger. But sometimes they also feel gratitude that their life was spared. Or sometimes they feel gratitude that, you know, they still get to go home to their other littles or their family. Sometimes they may, may feel sadness or disappointment in their body that their body wasn't able to, you know, sustain life. But then they also may feel um, happiness because they got to experience that 30 weeks of pregnancy feeling their little one kick. And oftentimes they don't know what in the world to do with these vastly different emotions. Um and in turn, because it feels so uncomfortable to have two polar opposite emotions, sometimes they experience guilt or shame. They're like, why in the world am I feeling thankful? Why am I feeling um, happy? Why, why am I feeling duality? Understanding that that does exist and that you have every right to experience your feelings without judgment. And so oftentimes I hear mamas who tell me that they experienced a loss and then they were able to sustain a pregnancy thereafter and now they have a little one. Sometimes they are still yearning and longing for their deceased child and then so grateful and honored to be able to have their rainbow baby at home. And they're like, why though? I feel like I am like taking away from my experience with my baby here that's earthside because I'm so focused and I still have all of these emotions connecting me to, you know, my baby who is not earthside. And the comforting thing to know and something that you can practice even if you're not in therapy and you're coping with the loss is understanding that duality says that you can do this, that you don't have to put this immense amount of pressure on yourself to choose how to grieve, or what emotions to have. You can give yourself permission to feel your feelings as they come and not judge yourself for doing so. And it can be incredibly validating and incredibly um, just affirming to who you are as a person. And it can help to chip away at that shame and that guilt, right? The guilt that you're even having the emotion and the shame that you may feel as a mom for 
also having happiness. Like, why is that present? Like, I'm not supposed to be experiencing laughter because my baby can't experience this. But no, it is okay. And so very much closely to that, that I would tell someone that they can also work on um, and use this this technique to cope is practicing self-compassion. So this is a concept um, that Kristen um, Nuff um which is an incredible, I want to say she's a PhD. Um, I'm looking it up really quickly. Um, quickly, Kristen Neff. Um, but she is a, uh, a provider, a professor. Um, and she is, has so much resources and research surrounding this concept of self-compassion. And what it is, is, um, it's your ability to extend to yourself the grace and the kindness that you would experience um, when you extend to a person who may be experiencing a loss. And so for a friend, we might say, don't be so hard on yourself. Like, feel your emotions. If you need to cry and it's a year later, cry. Like, don't put that time frame on yourself. We may be so supportive of our friends and family who are experiencing this, but we may hold ourselves to this extremely high and irrational and unrealistic standard and not extend that same grace and kindness to ourselves. And I want to encourage those out there that practicing self-compassion is, it is very intentional, but it works. And so that's another extremely, and there's, if you Google self-compassion and put in Kristen's um, information, again, Kristen Neff, you can find so much um, articles, books, journals, that's another resource that I have for you, um, videos just out there about the concept of self-compassion. So um, that's another one. That's another one that I, I definitely like to 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 inform your listeners. Um very much closely to emotions is just understanding um, that mentally, again, we respond to stress in many different ways. And so if we're understanding that mentally we respond to stress, sometimes by ruminating, so overthinking, but also sometimes with other negative thoughts, like should statements, like I should have been able to know um, that my baby's heart stopped beating, or I should have known not to lift that heavy box or not to have still worked out or I should have taken my um, maternity leave much sooner or I shouldn't have had sex with my spouse right and all of these yeah. definitive statements and these should statements they place so much blame on the individual the the identity of mom and if dad is doing this the identity of dad and instead of being able to see the experience as the experience or the significant loss as that event, you see those things and you attach them to your identity. And so being mindful of your negative thoughts and being able to challenge them is incredibly important. And so what's helpful in that is, um, again, you removing these distorted perceptions or these distorted beliefs so that you aren't attaching them to who you are as a person. Very similar to that is your self-talk, right? Understanding that sometimes we say, Things like I'm a bad mom or maybe I deserve this, right? I so, so often hear moms say, maybe this is karma catching up with me. 
right? But behind you saying that statement of maybe this is karma catching up with me, behind that statement is blame. It's shame. It's guilt. It's you telling yourself that you're unworthy. And those beliefs do not serve you in your journey to healing. And so those are just just a few of of, um, techniques that may be helpful Um, Again, getting connected with a provider is incredibly important, and I would encourage you to do that. Um, But if you're able to, you know, do some of this work on your own, those are just a few techniques. Well, thank you so much for all that. Um, That's actually all the questions I had for you today. Um, was Was there anything else that you would like to add? Yeah, I'll I'll just end here with just reminding um, listeners that one in four pregnancies end in miscarriage, one in 160 uh, pregnancies and births end in stillbirth. Um, Over a thousand babies die within the first year of life. And as a provider that is inclusive and a provider that sees all and treats all um, and that is non-judgmental, it is also important for me to highlight and to uplift moms who experience abortion as well. Um, and to be mindful that that is also a loss and that if you're suffering with grief due to that loss, that you are still worthy and that, you know, you can also heal from your experience. So, yeah, there is recovery that can be done. And um, the incredible thing about um, grief is that um, your story does not stop with the loss of your sweet baby, that your story can continue to be written and that you can move from an orientation of loss and despair and disappointment to a restoration orientation where you learn to integrate your loss into your life and find recovery. So I appreciate you having me on, Kathy. Um, I admire the work that you're doing. And if anyone would like to get in touch with me, you can feel free to email me questions. Um, If you need further information or connections within your community to a provider or other resources at crystal at southeastperinatalcounseling.com. You can follow me on Instagram at birthstory.therapist. I also have a podcast, the Birth Story Therapist Podcast, and um, it's completely different than the work that you're doing, which is amazing, Kathy. Mine um, is about mamas coming on and sharing their experiences within motherhood and um, providing space for them to feel validated and for their experiences to be normalized because, again, so often we experience things like loss and like the struggles in motherhood, and we don't often... Um, hear other stories of women who are also experiencing these things. So, um, so yeah, I appreciate this opportunity and um, am so thankful that you invited me on. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. And if you don't mind, can you send me links to all the things that you've mentioned during the, during the show? Without a doubt. And I'll be sure to put that in the show notes. Yeah, without a doubt. I'd love to be able to do that. You enjoy the rest of your day, Kathy. You too. Thank you so much. Have a great weekend. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. As always, it's important for me to note that this podcast does not replace being connected or receiving therapeutic services from a licensed mental health clinician. If you are experiencing a life-threatening emergency, please call 911 or go to your local emergency room. You can also find additional resources on episode two.
one being postpartum.net where you can get connected with support groups as well as therapists, psychiatrists, other providers within your community that may be of service to you on your motherhood journey. Again, that resource is postpartum.net, but you can find additional ones on episode two. Thank you.